0: welcome to the Garden church podcast what would it look like what would what would change if the culture of the kingdom of God uh, were present in Long Beach we've we've had this kind of our theme for a long time right in in, in Long Beach as in heaven well what would that look like what what would that how would that work its way out just at, at the cultural level uh, as, as it begins to spread out beyond Sunday morning, as it begins to spread out beyond our relationships? What would it look like if the kingdom came in your, uh, your community, in your house church? What, what would it look like if you, as an ambassador, y- using that language now technically, as a representative of the kingdom, what would that look like in your place of employment? Uh, what, would it, uh, what would it look like in the normal, ordinary, everyday functionality of marriages, or parenting, or managing singleness, or how we uh, resource ourselves financially? How would, what would it look like if the, if the kingdom came? And today, uh, we wanna focus very particularly on the issue of power. It's a hot topic. Uh, in our culture today. Uh, And um, I I wanna suggest to you that when the kingdom comes, it probably won't look an awful lot like we're seeing power get used today. (laughs) And sometimes not even in the church, because often the church, including, sadly, sometimes us, use power in the same ways that it is used elsewhere in the world. And I wanna suggest to you that Jesus has a better another plan that if we're praying that his kingdom come, we better get ready for his way of power rather than ours. Does that make sense? So that's where we're gonna go. Uh, We begin as always, for me at least, back at the beginning because the end that God is working towards is, uh, looks like the beginning that he started with in the first place. So Genesis chapter one makes it clear uh, that we are built for power. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they can rule uh, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So please notice from the get go, Verse 27, God created then humankind in His own image. He cre- In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. So a couple of quick observations. We've made these before. I can go into these in greater detail if you want me to, but I know that we've talked about this. So just to snapshot this really quickly, we are built for power. Human <laughs> beings are built as part of the image of God. You're not the image of God, but you're part of it. You're not, you know, male is not image, female is not image, it's male and female in collaborative, cooperative, relational, community. That's the image of God and that is built as a conduit uh, for exercising God's care for the planet. That's what to rule means. Rule doesn't mean to tell them what to do. Cows don't take well to you telling them what to do. But cows do need an environment in which their full cow nest can be expressed. Does that make sense? And that's our job. We, as the image of God, are here as stewards of God's power, as representatives of God on the planet, so that the rest of the creation, the rest of the created world, can uh, uh, flourish in the way God intended it in the first place. That's what it means to be empowered. Yeah. So please notice two things real quick. We are not given, then, power or authority over God and we are not given power or authority over each other. So persons are not intended to exercise power or dominion or authority over one another, and it is because we are in dependent relationship with God that we can exercise then an interdependence, mutually empowering, Relationship with one another. So not men over women, not big over small, not wealthy over poor, not one race over another. Persons are not intended. We are not wired for authoritarian relationships. We are, we are wired for mutually empowering relationships because when we ask the question, well, if we're the image of God, then how does God exercise his power? What does he do? And most of the myths, most of the stories that arose in, um, uh, in, in, in in the parallel with the passage of scripture that we're looking at, because the Bible is very, very aware of the other cultural myths, the other cultural stories, and is written very specifically to push back against, to speak back against the other stories that were defining how people are, and how they arrived, and what they do when they're here. So you'll notice that in Genesis chapter 1, there are four different occasions at the end of four different creative days in which the text simply says, and God saw that it was good, which is a snapshot in just a few words of how God understands and uses power. The word good here is a word that means it works, it functions, It's not a word of moral excellence, as opposed to evil or bad, uh, or preference. It's a category of function, it works. So when God says of his creation, it is good, what he's saying is, this works. This does what I designed it to do. Its form and its function are ideally suited to support one another. Does, Does that all make sense? So with that in mind, please notice that what God does with his power is that he gives it away. He empowers his creation. He releases it with capacity for its own life and without seeking to control it. That's what it means when it says it is good. It is released with capacity. It is released without control as to outcomes. It is released because it's good. It works. So God doesn't get engaged, if you will, in the story that follows in a hyper degree of supervision or, ma- uh, or management or the making of it happen in one way or another. He trusts his creation. He empowers it. Guess then what he's looking for in his human creation as we are his image. Same thing. He wants us to empower His creation. He wants us to support it in its full emergence. He wants us not to engage in control. Now, this is really hard for us because for us, we are so turned upside down in this stage of the game, right? That power is all about control. Would that be fair to say? The reason I want positional power, the reason I want financial power, the reason I want power of whatever kind in our culture, political or military or whatever, is so I can make stuff happen. That is preferential to me. And of course, the rest of the world, which is largely the same. Anybody else have the illusion that what's good for you is good for everybody else? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we've gotta learn something about how God, is everybody on track so far? I realize I started to come out here with some really big ideas, and I, I, I just trust you to track along with me, but everybody, we're, we're okay? All right, fine. So I'm gonna assume that you're not lying to me. So, 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 so when, when Jesus gets a hold of this and begins now, remember the world came upside down in Genesis chapter three, right, because in Genesis chapter three, we got anxious, we became afraid, We began to be ashamed, and instead of empowering one another, what did we do with the power we built with? We used it to self-protect. We used power to dominate rather than empower. We used power to manipulate. When we see ourselves in the weaker position, we use our power to manipulate because we want to secure our place. We want to use and leverage whatever power we have to acquire more so that we're safe, right? And, and, and this, is not, this is not what God had in mind. This is the logical consequence. Remember, He's not going to stop it. Why? Because He's empowering His creation. He trusts it. He releases it without capacity, with capacity, and without control. Really annoying. Because we want God to step in and fix stuff when it breaks. Of course, we don't want Him to enable us to become the kinds of people who don't break it in the first place. We want him to rescue us when we screw it up. We don't want him to limit our freedom so we don't screw it up. Anybody see the contradiction here, right? So, 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 so he's gonna let us choose an upside down world out of fear and insecurity because he trusts his creation. And please notice that the rest of creation, the ones over which we are supposed to be in, 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 in care and stewardship begins to push back and resist us. It begins not to trust us. You see this throughout the, the Genesis three narrative and then Paul says that the whole earth is groaning in travail until we get our act together so that it can trust us again. So when Jesus comes and starts to model a redemptive place, when he announces the coming of his kingdom We ought to expect him to live in a way similar to what we were built for in the first place, Genesis 1 and 2, and we ought to expect him to resist, to push back against the structures of power which by this time had become embedded politically, militarily, financially, gender-based, race-based, all of the ways of power, all of the ways of securing safety and security, all of the ways of leveraging whatever position I have for my personal advantage, and of course, those of my friends. We ought to expect Jesus to push back against that. And so notice when he gets uh, pushed into a corner on this, two two of his disciples, people who are trying to learn to live like him, come to him, and with the classic misunderstanding that all of his disciples, including us, have, say to him this, Lord, when you come in your glory, when you get maximized in your power, if I can, can I translate it that way? We want to be sitting one on your right, one on your left. In other words, we want to be number one and number two, or number one and number two. It's either your choice. But we're, we're, good, we're good for that role. In other words, we want the power that we recognize you to have. When you come in full, when the kingdom comes as you are announcing it to come in full force, we wanna be in charge of that power. So Jesus says this, Mark chapter 10. Guys, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them Their high officials exercise authority over them. Does that sound at all familiar? And then he says in a classic ironic twist with a smile on his face and a gleam in his eye and redness flooding the disciples' faces in embarrassment. Guys, that's not the way it is among us, is it? Among us? Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to become, to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, you want to be first at being last you see what he's saying here? When the kingdom of God comes, it confronts the kingdom of this world. Here's how the kingdom of this world works. You leverage whatever position, you leverage whatever uh, emotional power you have, you leverage whatever your money, whatever your gender, whatever your race, whatever gives you power in your culture, take that and turn it completely upside down. Whatever makes you strong in your culture, is at the wrong end of the equation when the kingdom of God comes. How does that feel? Anybody else uncomfortable with that? I am, frankly I am, because that terrifies me. Because that means the weak are in charge. Now please notice what happens. If we're not careful, we will think that what he's saying is See, now the kingdom comes so that those people who are nothing and nobodies, those who are weak, all of a sudden get into positions of power and now they get to tell everybody what to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you wanna learn power when the kingdom of God comes, if you wanna learn a culture of power, take whatever position you have, financial, gender, political, military, whatever it is, Take that positional power and use it to serve others, not to secure your own position. Not to guarantee that your way is the right way, not to guarantee that nothing bad ever happens to you and the people you love. Use your power, whatever it is, to serve. Is that making any sense? In other words, right back to where we were at the beginning. You're created to be the image of God, so now you have to learn how to be the image of God. Who is saying this, by the way? Jesus is saying this. What did he do with his power vis-a-vis you, me? He existed, Paul tells us, in the form of God and did not consider that something to be clung to. He had unlimited power and did not consider it necessary for him to grasp onto that. By the way, that'll be one of the key ideas that begins to penetrate our souls when we have finally begun to realize that the kingdom culture of power is beginning to work its way into our soul. When we have power and don't need to hang on to it. When we have power and don't need to make it the means of acquiring more power. Instead, it says, Paul tells us, Jesus let it aside. Emptied himself of all of the power that would have guaranteed his safety, became a human being, like a man, a slave, and was obedient to the death, even death on the cross. You want the kingdom culture of power? Better follow the king. What does that mean? Well, I don't know, take an inventory. Where where where, do, where does your power? Re- oh, I don't have any power. Perfect. Perfect. You're the ones who get to model for the rest of us how to serve and lead out of weakness, because this doesn't just apply to the one percent, right? Because those of us who don't consider ourselves to be part of the one percent, one percent rather, think Jesus is really going after those guys. No. He's going after us all. All of us have some power, why? Because you're created to be the image of God. You're built for it. You're created from the very ground up to exercise kingdom authority. Now, how you do that cannot be conditioned by the world in which you serve. You cannot use kingdom power to accomplish earthly goals. This is what he's saying. You know know how it is. The rulers of this age use their power to get stuff done by dominating other people. Guys, you can't do that. Not even in Jesus' name can you do that. You, You don't get to use, if the kingdom culture comes, that means you're not the king. Okay, so... It's really fitting that we should talk about this on Pentecost Sunday, the day in which power was restored to the church community. But notice the concerns. Look back at Acts chapter 1. As Jesus is getting ready to leave now, he's been lecturing them, talking to them, leading them into demonstrating this over and over and over again. Please notice with me, Jesus did not ever use his power for his own sake. He only used it for the sake of the weak, for the sake of others. This is really critical. Because in fact, it's one of the litmus tests that I, I, have to, I have to run regularly. Am I using whatever power I have for my own benefit? Because that's, that's, that's a quick and dirty way of saying, oh, I'm probably on the right or the wrong side of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So, so here's their concern in, Genesis, in Acts chapter one. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days after his resurrection. Can we say power? Anybody who has a capacity to raise somebody from the dead? That's power, right? And after 40 days, he's shown himself. He spoke about, please notice this, the kingdom of God. This is his concern. One occasion while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you can feel the excitement as they have sat down for breakfast to join this final meal with Jesus. You can feel the excitement, Bill, because they've seen what somebody filled with the Spirit looks like. They have watched. For three and a half years, somebody who is filled with this, and Luke makes it very clear, the author of Acts makes it very clear, Jesus does not do what he does because he's God in the flesh. He does what he does because he's a human being in whom the Spirit dwells. Which means what? Y'all can do the same thing by means of the same Spirit. Greater things, Jesus said, than I have done, you will do. Do you see what he's after here? But you got to learn how to use it first. Otherwise, you're gonna use harm. You're gonna do harm. Right? So he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. He and, and they that you can feel their energy. You mean, wait, that's available for us? Yes, that's available for you. And you can see the wheels start to turn. Look at the question they ask, Lord. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see the equation? We're gonna get supernaturally empowered so that we get to be in charge. So that the kingdom comes to Israel, so that what we have dreamed, hoped, prayed, believed, move towards all of our history as a nation will finally be restored. You cannot leverage the kingdom of God and the power of the kingdom for personal gain no matter how righteous your cause is. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Anybody else want to get a piece of that action? Because what we want is we want to leverage the authority of the kingdom. We want to leverage the authority of the Holy Spirit. We want to leverage the power of the Spirit for our own personal gain and advantage and notoriety. For our marriages, yes, for how we manage money, for how we manage conflict, for how we make our way in the world. Is this, too, is this unfair? A- am I the only one that wants to utilize the kingdom of power for my own advantage? I don't think I am. I don't think I am. And notice what Jesus says. Guys, as it turns out, that's none of your business. It's not for you to know. Here's what I want you to do. You go and wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Please notice, when the Holy Spirit comes, he does not first come to empower you to do something. He comes to empower you to be someone. Did you catch that? It's really important because that's the restoration of who we were built to be in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, here's the twist. The being that he empowers is such that witness is born to Jesus. In other words, your being filled with the Spirit is shaped so that it vibrates the life of Jesus. So that when people see you, they're not impressed with you, but they fall in love with the Jesus who lives his life through you in the power of the Spirit. This is the strategy. This is, by the way, what we mean when we say your kingdom come. Lord, I want you to so shape who I am, to so shape my very being, that every aspect of my life vibrates with the testimony of the resurrected Christ. That's what I want. How I'm married, how I parent my kids, how I manage my sexuality, how I handle financial resources, how I supervise my employees, how I serve as an employee, how I manage unemployment, how I handle the pink slip and the bad diagnosis. All of that needs to be empowered by the spirit so that witness is born to the reality of the resurrected Christ. All of that. Because that's why, because that's where the people to whom you are sent live. They live in a challenged world maritally. They live in a challenged world in terms of parenting. They live in a challenged world in terms of the pink slip and the bad diagnosis and the unemployment and the crime rate and all of those other things. If we don't go as they are into their world and model the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ in the power of the Spirit, the world will not be saved. It will not be saved when you and I get in charge. And please notice, he does not say, I want you to gather together on a weekly basis and I want you to vibrate the life of the kingdom so that people come in and notice. (laughs) He says, I want you to go to your Jerusalem. I want you to go to your Judea. I want you to hang with all of the folks in your neighborhood. I want you to invite them into your lives and I want you to invite yourself into their lives. Oh, and by the way, I want you to go to Samaria too. This language doesn't always connect with us. We don't realize how it would have landed. Take the most despised group of people that you can imagine. Socioculturally, economically, figure it out. Who is that for you? The people you've disdained, the people you've dismissed, the people you wonder if they're even really human beings. That's the Samaritans. And I want you, he says, to go to them. I want you to go to them. Those people that you have discounted and disregarded and dismissed and and viewed with contempt, I want you to go to them. And I want you to, in the power of the Spirit, vibrate the life of the resurrected Christ because those, those folks, they're my kids too. And if you don't know it, then you're not gonna be helpful for me in the kingdom's coming. If you view them as them and not as us who don't know it yet, if you don't see me in them, the ones in prison, the ones sick, the ones naked, the ones in peril, if you don't see me in them, not as a project, but as a person, you haven't yet begun to understood what the kingdom culture of power looks like. Does this make sense? You want the world to be saved? You want the kingdom to come? This is what it looks like. I want you to vibrate in places of comfort and places of discomfort with the life of the kingdom. And please notice, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, the day that we celebrate today, verse 22 of Acts chapter two, the power of the Spirit comes enabling them to be in Jerusalem, Judea, etc., etc. Peter's sermon reframes what is happening here. Look at this, fellow Israelites the audience who is gathered to watch this phenomenon of the Spirit's empowerment. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, to you by God, by miracles, by wonders, by signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Please notice, the miraculous is not intended for the recipient of the miracle the miraculous intent is intended to bear witness to the reality of Jesus to the onlooker. Is one of the concerns that I have as growing up as a classical Pentecostal is sometimes we want to leverage the power of the Spirit for our own personal kingdoms, for my happy holy time with Jesus. I want to vibrate in the Spirit, have a great experience. And by the way, not a thing wrong with that. If, if at the end of the day, it points to Jesus. It invites people. If if the character of Christ is not produced in me by result of my ecstatic spiritual experiences, words from the Lord and, and, and warm fuzzies up and down my spine and the falling on the floor and weeping uncontrollably, all of the things that I've grown up with all my life, wonderful, 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 more, 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 so that we can serve more effectively so that Jesus is lifted up, not so that everybody kind of Instagrams the moment of crazy. Everybody okay? Come back next week. It'll be a different preacher. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Always. Notice that the reason people were healed, the reason folks were raised from the dead, the people, the reason leprosy was the reason Jesus embraced children, the reason Jesus elevated women, the reason Jesus embraced Gentiles and the Samaritans, he wanted them to show what it would look like when the kingdom came in power. That's why he did that. And the miracles were so that they would believe him when he said it. And instead, what often happens is we get off the bus of the miraculous and think that's the point. No, that's not the point. Look at how it works out in the new community in, Gen- in Acts chapter two. They, d- they devoted themselves. This new community formed, by the way, also in the power of the spirits. One of the things the spirit does is he forms a new community that is shaped by the culture of the kingdom. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Everyone was filled with awe at many signs and wonders being performed by the apostles. Let's just stop there for one second. Filled with awe means quaking in their boots at the evident presence of God. this 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 is not, in other words, and please do not get me wrong on this, This is really, really important because I I have prayed for people to be healed on my life. I've prayed for miracles on my life. I've seen people healed. I've seen people not healed. One of the things that we have to lean in very carefully on this, especially because I love the garden's culture of willingness to risk. In a few weeks, we're gonna go out maybe and pray on the street. Some of you do that now. God bless you. And do that, do that, but remember, it's not sideshow Jesus we're putting on display. It's the glory, goodness, wonder, mercy of God that invites people in. So they felt a sense of awe and wonder at the miraculous. When that stops, the miracles stop. When it becomes the point When the beneficiary is simply the person who was healed and everybody else views themselves as as entitled to be healed, then the Holy Spirit says, "Uh, sorry guys, this has gone sideways. I need to empower some of you to die well. I need to empower some Stevens who are stoned and in the power of the Spirit see beyond themselves. Anybody want the culture of the kingdom and power? Because both, both, you can't have it one way without the other, right? It, you, you, you can't, and so, so the outcome here is just pretty astounding. The power of the Spirit comes, the culture of the Spirit comes, and look what happened. They sold property and possessions to give everyone who had need, not just the members of their own community, but the folks who had nobody to care for them. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord trusted them. So he could add to their number daily those who were being saved. I want the garden to be a church that God can trust. I don't want people to have to come here to find Jesus. I want you to go there, because you know him. Does that make sense? That's that's what the nature of this is. This this power that we're talking about builds a new community. It's one of the reasons why, uh, as challenging as it is, the house church model is a wonderful way to start to actualize this. It's got all kinds of crazy attached to it. But for crying out loud, at least we're getting out of the doors of the church on Sunday morning and being the church on Thursday night. Because that's where the church is needed. It's not needed here. Thank you all for coming. But where the church is most needed if we really want the kingdom to come in Long Beach is in Long Beach. The place of your employment, in your home, your neighborhood, your preschool, wherever it is that you are, it builds a new community, it enables outrageous generosity. Notice how this works. In our culture, just like in theirs, money is power. What does happens, what happens to people who have money when the kingdom culture of power actualizes in their soul? This is the audience participation portion of the service. (laughs) You know what happens. They're outrageously generous. They recognize, it's not my money. It's given to me to give. That's why poverty, by the way, is not necessarily more spiritual than wealth. The challenge is, wealthy folks have such a position of power in the prevailing system that it's really, really challenging for them to be an upside-down kingdom. But if they can figure that out, as many of Jesus' friends did, holy cow. Good things can happen when wealthy people let the kingdom of God control the culture of power. The reason we have Luke and Acts is because a wealthy patron named Theophilus paid to have it written. So it's not give all your money away, it's give your money to Jesus and let him tell you what to do with it. It's not yours, right? I'm much more willing to say that about other people's money. (laughs) Other people's position. But you know what I mean? Some of you are, are in influential positions of power influencing culture in the entertainment industry. Hello. You want the kingdom to come? That doesn't mean you have to write Jesus-y songs or make Jesus-y movies. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing cheesier than bad gospel stuff. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why does the devil get all the good music? That's what I wanna know. <laughs> so why don't, why don't we blow out the edges of creativity and imagination, as some of you are doing For the sake of the kingdom. Do do you see? That's what it looks like when the kingdom's culture of power comes. It anchors them in practices that support the creation of new community and we become an outpost of the kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.